Hello everyone and welcome to Making Mobsters. I'm your host, Jeremy Messina. This is our first episode and I want to thank you all so much for just tuning in and checking out and seeing what our show is all about. Before we dive into the show and the history on the Mafia, I really wanted to get your guys' take on what we think about The Many Saints of Newark that's coming out soon in theaters and what do you guys think? I mean, this is such a huge movie and such a big gap between the movie and the famous show, The Sopranos. Um, I have high hopes for it. I, I, I can't say that I believe that it's going to beat The Sopranos or match the level that The Sopranos was at. I mean, that was a fabulous cast. That was some of the best and just at the time, everything just hit right. I, I don't know if they can make that happen again. I would love to see it. I would love to see if they could match that level of talent and just whatever the magic was that made The Sopranos. Um, one little key fact before we, we start the show. In The Sopranos, um, remember Satchel's Meat Market? Uh, the little shop that they sat outside? They rebuilt that entire scene and set just for The Many Saints of Newark. Um, I thought that was an interesting fact. I. I, w I forgot that they had torn that down in um, around 2007-2008, so that's going to be interesting that they rebuilt that entire uh, building scene for this movie. Um, that's a famous famous market in Jersey where, uh, well, it was a famous building at least, um, iconic building during The Sopranos. So let me know. Send us an email. Comment on our posts on... Right now, we don't have a ton of social media links out. Facebook is out. You can go on and follow us on Facebook. Um, you could follow our podcast. You can follow the site. Uh, subscribe for emails. Um, you know, all that good stuff. But let us know. Get in touch with us. This is what the show is for. We want to get in touch with you guys. We want you to, to give us feedback. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. This show is uh, about the history of the mobsters. This is uh, the history of the mafia. This is the full take, the full dive into all the mobsters who, who made the big movies, all the mobsters who made those guys big mobsters, all the guys that, you know, maybe even fell short and didn't make it so big, but were key, vital mobsters into what we know today as the Mafia, La Cosa Nostra, who has really, I mean, taken over the entertainment business for years and years. You look at shows like Sopranos, you look at the movie The Godfather, and Today, the first guy we're going to be talking about is Russell Buffalino. A lot of you know this guy because of the movie The Irishman. The Irishman was a great movie. Now, Russell Buffalino was the type of mobster that was closer to the Godfather, uh, Marlon Brando, than any, uh, probably any other mobster in history. And I have evidence to prove that. Um, you might be thinking that's a crazy statement to make. There's so many other mobsters and godfathers and, and guys out there that are so much more known that would have made that that guy that spot in that movie. But Russell Buffalino, you got to understand, was one of the last great mobsters, one of the last stand-up guys. And we're going to dive in and show you guys exactly how it is he became to be the, the biggest, most, one of the most respected mobsters, not in just his territory, but across the country. Um, so let's let's dive into that. 
Um, first of all, Russell Buffalino, uh, you know, his real name was Rosario Alfredo Buffalino, Sicily born, born September 29th, 1903. So Russ was a character right from the beginning that you knew was just going to have a tough life. Russell uh, came to America uh, when he was very young, probably about three years old. Um, his father had a mining job here and the father died just a couple months into being here in America. So Russell, his mom and, and, and the rest of the family moved back to Italy uh, in Sicily. After a couple of years of being there, they kind of decided that they didn't want to stay in Italy anymore. They figured they'd give it another shot. Russell's mom, Russell, uh, they, they moved back to America and uh, mostly for opportunity. Um, Italy was very struggling at the time. You know, poor Russ, his his mom died just a couple years after being back here in America. So Russell really had nothing. Russell had to pack up and, and go back to Italy where he knew some people. Um, he was only a couple, he was probably 10 years old at the time. So after a few years, in 1914, Russ decides that he's going to come back to America and move to Buffalo, where he became a criminal in his teenage years, where he meets some influential mobsters, where he learned how to do what he did. I mean, he learned the the trait, and it, and it wasn't as hard back then um, in certain ways to get away with crime, obviously. There was less technology, less cameras. Russell was a guy who knew how to make deals, and when he came to Buffalo, um, and, and up about into the 20s, Russ worked with a guy, Joseph Barbara, an upstate bootlegger. Now, Joseph Barbara is a character. Um, full name Joseph Mario Barbara, uh, nicknamed Joe the Barber, uh, famous for hosting the Appalachian meeting, uh, born in Sicily. Joe... Now, not too often... But often enough, <laughs> we will get off into little uh, side pieces from some guys who were influential to some of these gangsters like Russell. Um, Joe Barbara was another guy who was very intelligent, was able to um, manipulate and wheel and deal the way that he needed to to get things done. So one of uh, Joe's first big murders that is on record is uh, in 1933 he murdered a rival bootlegger Sam Wickner uh, apparently strangled allegedly uh, police officers couldn't get enough info to convict so you know Joe walks um, Joe was a powerful guy in his time I'm sure that everybody knew who did it and all that good stuff and we know how the games were played um, another one was the big murder from Joe the Barber on John Skiandra in 1940 to take over the organization. So, you know, he, he knew what he was doing. Um, very smart guy, put himself in positions of power. Um, in 1949, the papers did say that Skiandra died from natural causes. However, uh, being the connected guy that Joe Barber was, Skiandra stood in uh, Joe the Barber's way. So, I think we could put two and two together and figure out exactly what happened there and how John, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, how Joseph came to power. Now, Joe the Barber was so connected that even after all these charges and accusations, 
He applied for a handgun permit in New York, and the police chief in Endicott, New York, even offered to be a reference for this guy. Now think about that for a second. The police chief in New York offers to be a reference for this guy, who is a known murderer, connected guy. Um, the police chief just offers it. I mean, this is how this is how uh, intense and how well of a show these guys put on you know for the public joe got so connected he started to do some charitable events and get into those circles where he was able to kind of if you look the other way be looked at as a proud member of the community who did some good things and people weren't afraid to step out and and uh you know back this guy up so Shortly after all this is going on, Joe was arrested for buying 300 pounds of sugar, intended for bootlegging. After that, Joe ended up kind of hopping out of the bootlegging business, at least for appearances, and um, he bought a Canada Dry bottling plant and got into the soft drink market. Eventually, after a little while though, you know, uh, liquor becomes liquor and beer become legal again in America, and he was able to uh, start up his beer and soft drink market. And he controlled Binghamton, New York with it. He he controlled the entire area, and that's where everyone got their drinks from. Uh, in 1956, though, Joe suffered a heart attack and died. So, you know, so after all that hard work that this guy put in and kind of becoming legitimate, Joe dies uh, just about 54 years of his life and, and has, you know, not made it to where he really wanted to be you could tell this guy had aspirations of bigger things all the time and this this heart attack does seem like it was natural causes but we're gonna we're gonna go with that i think that there was no other evidence proving otherwise that anyone took joe barbara out i i don't think that russell would be the guy to do that i think russell learned a lot from joe i think that they're very close so I'm, I'm gonna go out and say that Russell and Joe were more like professional colleagues than anything else and but that's a little little side story to Russell so Russell being the mobster that he was and being the connected guy that he was made so many connections Joe wasn't the only one Russell controlled mobsters across the country which was amazing for that time period you gotta understand, this was back before cell phones, this was back before internet, this was back before any of this stuff took place. You know, none of, the, the only way they could get a hold of each other was using a payphone or, you know, something like that, or letters. So they did everything in person and Russell had that control, not only in the Northeast, you know, the Pennsylvania, upstate New York area, Russell had control spanning across the country. And this is how Russell was able to keep control there was a certain um theory and probably a lot of truth behind it that russell was one of the great godfathers russell had his hand in everything and nothing happened without russell say so now referring to the movie the irishman um another reason why i believe that russell was such a great mafia don so to say i mean i don't think he was really considered a 
a Don Don like you would in the movies. But why now I'm saying that he should have been considered one of those is because even Frank Sheeran said publicly that out of any Godfather, Mafia Don that he has ever met, Russell fit the picture of Marlon Brando in The Godfather than any other mobster he's ever met. And now think about it. Frank Sheeran is not an Italian. Frank Sheeran is an Irishman. Uh, reason for the movie, The Irishman. But Frank was a connected guy. Frank was a loyal guy. Frank was a trusted guy. And Russell trusted him with everything, which is amazing. Russell didn't trust a lot of people. The mafia had a, a way of disposing of people who weren't really connected if they had to and they never had to do that with Frank so that's really saying something about how close Russell and Frank really were they were so connected that Russell trusted Frank to control the Jimmy Hoffa situation and that was a situation where for the younger listeners on here Jimmy Hoffa was bigger or more popular than the president of the United States back in those days everybody knew who Jimmy Hoffa was and they were the ones that were controlling Jimmy Hoffa, at least so it looked like. Jimmy Hoffa apparently, uh, according to the movie, had a temper and did what Jimmy Hoffa wanted to do. Now, Frank saying that is significant because Frank is not a talker. Frank is not a... Frank Sheeran from the movie, as the, they did a pretty good job depicting him in The Irishman. So, Frank is not a loudmouth. Frank is loyal, and I think Frank is loyal to the end, even beyond the grave. Um, Frank is not the type of guy who's just going to go out and say something like that. Um, after, even after all those years, he was very quiet about a lot of a lot of things. Um, Frank and Russell working together was a great thing because at at this time especially later on, once they start getting into the Mafia bus and everything like that, it gave Russell a guy that he could really depend on, and nobody really questioned it. I mean, it was a strange, strange thing that didn't happen all the time. Uh, outsiders working within the Mafia is one thing, but to be so trusted as Frank was with Russell is a huge, huge, a huge thing. I mean, usually a guy like Frank would work for the Mafia for a couple years, and by the time he knew too much, he was, he was, uh, he was dead. That that's just how it went in those days, and I'm sure to the in these days it probably still is a thing, but but not so much. We don't see the big mafia hits, you know, as we did in like the 80s and and 90s. You know, we we, we just don't see it anymore. A little more on the Buffalino family, though. Uh, you know, they are involved in your your normal uh, crime family stuff. I mean, they're involved in illegal gambling, loan sharking, narcotics trafficking labor racketeering prostitution all that stuff that you know everything that they could get their hands in and they did a really good job at it for a while um you know however in like 1953 the fbi was claiming russell buffalino was one of the two most powerful men in the mafia not only in his area but across the country that is saying something for a guy who was so quiet russell was just he just knew how to work he knew how to stay under the radar just enough but do things in a way that scared other people within the organization because you need to have that you need to have that 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 fear level that something could happen to you if you messed up or else it just doesn't work people just start running off doing whatever they want to do 
you know, Russell, he did die at the age of 91, but the papers um, in Pennsylvania, all, you know, he was the last old school mafiosi. He, uh, he is the Don of Dons. The people liked him. People liked Russell. He wasn't your vicious, vicious man. He had reasons to do what he had to do. And, and that's probably why he got away with stuff for so long. You know, he, he wasn't out there just killing people. Russell was not killing for no reason. There was always reason behind what he did. He was, not only was he powerful in Pennsylvania, but he was actually one of the ruling members of the Mafia's National Council. Now think of that again. I mean, this guy just keeps on popping up and popping up and, and popping up, but never really blowing up, if you know what I mean. I mean, he wasn't just out doing random stuff to get himself into trouble, and that's that, that's just the way Russell operated. So when you talk about a guy who is more like any other, you know, Don in history, Russell was that type of guy. He, I mean, it it, it is a stretch to say that he is the Don, like Marlon Brando and, and the Godfather. It might be a little bit of a stretch to say that because as it appears in the movie, the Godfather didn't want anything to do with drugs, narcotics, you know, stuff like that. But that, that just wasn't true. Uh, history has a way of romanticizing a lot of the mafia and that there are some some benefits to the mafia in America as far as, you know, back in back in the day in New York City, they, they kept crime lower. They at least rampant crime they they did their own crime but they kept a lot of people in line you know that the police officers couldn't that really it, it it is a stretch to say but when you really dive into the history of the mafia and the things that they do and have done um you know narcotics just was a thing that when they found out how much money there was they were in it and anybody who tells anybody otherwise is is uh is it's just they they follow whatever anyone says anyway, so there's no there's no real truth to that. The truth is the mafia does what they can to make money, which builds power and influence, and that's that's what they do. So yes, Russell was involved involved in narcotics too, just not in the way the movie The Godfather was depicted. But if you were whoever the real Godfather was based on, we'll get we'll get into that in a later episode. But whoever that movie was based on, yes, the Godfather was involved in narcotics in real life, so Russell was very closely aligned with The Godfather. Now take that for, for what it is, that's after me doing a lot of research um, on the Mafia and its history. Speaking of history, because this is the first episode, I believe it's only right that we dive into the term Mafia, the origin, and where it came from. See, the Mafia is a network of organized criminals and groups based in Italy and America that has evolved over centuries in Sicily. An island ruled until the mid-19th century by a long line of foreign invaders, Sicilians branded together in groups to protect themselves and carry out their own justice. In Sicily, the term mafioso, or mafia member, initially had no criminal connotations and was used to refer to a person who was suspicious of central authority. By the 19th century, some of these groups emerged as private armies, or mafi who extorted protection money from landowners and eventually became the violent criminal organization known today as the Sicilian Mafia. The American Mafia, who rose to power in the 1920s, is a separate entity from the Mafia in Italy. Although they share such traditions as Omerta, a code of conduct and loyalty, the Mafia's Sicilian roots, okay, 
For centuries, the Sicily and island in the Mediterranean Sea between North America and the Italian mainland was ruled by a long line of foreign invaders, including the Phoenicians, Romans, Arabs, French, and Spanish. The residents of this small island informed groups to protect themselves from the often hostile occupying forces as well as from other regional groups of Sicilians. These groups, which later became known as clans or families, developed their own system for justice and retribution, carrying out their actions in secret. By the 19th century, small private armies known as the Mafia took advantage of the frequently violent, chaotic conditions in Sicily and extorted protection money from landowners. From this history, the Sicilian Mafia emerged as a collection of criminals, clans, or families. Also, the Sicilian Mafia is one of the four major criminal networks currently based in Italy. Now, they're one of the biggest, but they are definitely not nowadays the most brutal or violent of the Mafia um, clans or families. Uh, we will get into a couple more of those later on the show, the other, uh, the other segments of uh, the Mafia. But the one that we know in America, the, the, the big, famous Mafia that we know is um, the Sicilian Mafia, which La Cosa Nostra comes from. Um, okay, so th those are going to be some important distinctions that we're gonna we're gonna make later on once we get into this. So, until the 19th century, the word mafioso did not refer to someone who was a criminal, but rather a person who was suspicious of central authority and arrogance. In the 1860s, a play called a mafiosi della vicaria. Um, heroes of the penitentiary in English about a group of inmates at a Sicilian prison who maintained their own hierarchy and rituals toured Italy and helped popularize the term mafia in the Italian language the mafia was on the rise in Italy by 1861 Sicily became a province of recently unified Italy however chaos and crime reigned across the island as the fledging italian government tried to establish itself in the 1870s roman officials even asked sicilian mafia clans to help them by going after dangerous independent criminal bands in exchange officials would look the other way as the mafia continued its protection shakedowns of landowners the government believed this arrangement would be temporary lasting just long enough for Rome to gain control. Instead, the Mafia clans expanded their criminal activities, further entrenched themselves in Sicilian politics and the economy. The government became adept at political corruption and intimidated people to vote for certain candidates who were in turn beholden to the Mafia. Even the Catholic Church was involved with Mafia clans during this period. According to the Rab, who notes the church relied on Mafiosi to monitor its massive property holdings in Sicily and keep tenants farmers in line. See, in order to strengthen th themselves, Sicilian clans began conducting initiation ceremonies in which members pledged secret oaths of loyalty. Of chief importance to the clans was Omerta, an all-important code of conduct reflecting the ancient Sicilian belief that a person should never go to government authorities to seek justice for a crime and never, ever cooperate with authorities investigating any wrongdoing. See, this that, that little part right there is major. That is something that has contributed to the massive, massive downfall in uh, the Mafia today as we know in America. Never cooperate with authorities investigating any wrongdoing. The RICO Act is what ruined that for uh, the Mafia. So, 
The Mafia's influence in Sicily grew until the 1920s. Prime Minister Benito Mussolini came to power and launched a brutal crackdown of mobsters who he viewed as a threat to his fascist regime. However, in the 1950s, the Mafia rose again when mob-backed construction companies dominated the post-World War II building boom in Sicily. Over the next few decades, the Sicilian Mafia flourished, expanding its criminal empire and booming by the 1970s, a major player in international narcotics trafficking. The America Mafia, a separate entity from the Mafia in Sicily, came to power in the 1920s Prohibition era after the success of the Italian-American neighborhood gangs and the booming bootleg liquor business. By the 1950s, the Mafia, also known as Cosa Nostra, or which is Italian for our thing, had become the preeminent organized crime network in the United States and was involved in a range of underworld activities from loan sharking to prostitution while also infiltrating labor unions and legitimate industries such as construction and New York's garment industry. Like the Sicilian Mafia, American Mafia families were able to maintain their secrecy and success because of their code omerta as well as their ability to bribe and intimidate public officials, business leaders, witnesses, and juries. For these reasons, law enforcement agencies were largely ineffective at stopping the Mafia during the first part of the 20th century. However, during the 1980s and the 1990s, prosecutors in America and Italy began successfully employing tough anti-racketeering laws to convict top-ranking mobsters. Additionally, some mafiosi, in order to avoid long prison terms, began breaking the once sacred code of omerta and testified against the fellow mob members by the start of the 21st century after hundreds of high-profile arrests. The RICO Act absolutely destroyed the Mafia. We all know this. It's been in the papers, it's been in the magazines, it's been in the movies, we've all seen it. We've heard the famous stories of Sammy the Bull. We've heard everything that, that went down with all of that. So we can see why Russell was drawn to this type of life. We can see why he ended up being a mobster. He had nothing holding him, you know, to anything else. Um, Russell was accountable for himself and that's it there was nobody else in Russell's life that could stop him from going down this path Russell did live until he was about 91 years old so you know he he did have a rare um, uh, situation where he survived his life without dying at an early age from being involved with the mafia I mean, that was because of his power and his connections, and he was a very smart guy. Don't, you know, don't ever think that Russell Buffalino wasn't a smart guy. You obviously have to be a pretty smart guy to make it to 91 in that lifestyle. So, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Tune into our next one. Um, we're not going to give away who it is yet. We're going to make you come back and, and uh, find out. Uh, write our show. Give us some, send us some emails and let us know who you would like to hear about, and we will do our best to accommodate that. Um, again, we are pumped for the many saints of Newark. I hope you guys are as well. And awesome. Thank you guys so much again. I can't, you know, express how, how thankful I am for you guys tuning in and listening to this show. I really hope you enjoyed it. Now go watch The Sopranos. Go watch uh, Goodfellas. You know, whatever you gotta do. Go watch it. Go do it. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your week. 